The angel said to Mary, why are you weeping? The reason for the Gospels, the church and each day, is to convince each one of us that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. Fundamental to our faith is belief in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That's at the heart of it. That's where it all begins. This is what makes Christianity different from all the other world faiths. What gives it a unique claim? Resurrection is what makes us look and listen to the words and teachings of Jesus Christ. But, and it is a big but, unless you see the cross and the tomb as one experience, you will never grasp the truth about Jesus. Because it's in the suffering of the cross that Jesus rises. Easter day is the icing on the cake. It's in the suffering that Jesus triumphs. On the cross, Jesus begins the renewal of his life in obedience to his father. Jesus does die in reality that he might rise in reality. And in today's dynamic account of the brave women at the tomb, two angels ask a poignant question. Why are you looking in the tomb for someone who's alive? Often we meet people who are looking for God amongst the dead. They study the Bible as a mere historic document, even come to church as if they're going to a memorial service. But Jesus is not among the dead, he lives. That may be a surprise to you if you look around at this present congregation, but he lives. I mean, you can sit up and look as though he does live if you really try. He lives, at least that's the message of today and we need to be on message. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is a central fact of Christian history. On it, the church is built. Without it, there would be no Christian church today. Jesus' resurrection is unique. Other religions have strong ethical systems, concepts about paradise and the afterlife, and various holy scriptures. But only Christianity has a God who became human flesh, literally died for his people, was raised again in power and glory to rule his kingdom forever. That was the truth. That's what happened. And the central fact which drove the disciples into a new community was the resurrection. This Christ saves us and loves us back to our Father in heaven. How does he do it? By loving us back into the kingdom. The problem for the friends of Jesus was that it wasn't meant to end like this. The women at the tomb are confused. I mean, we were promised places in heaven. We were warned that it would be extremely difficult, but not impossible to gain every entry into the kingdom. But this is the pits. First, a peculiar Passover meal with words about doing this to remember him. Then a violent arrest while we were praying together. Then the crooked trial, the cross, and now the stone has been removed, and so has the corpse. It's a terrible story. We're in the middle of it. What are we to do? And just as we were enjoying our corporate misery, suddenly we are being laughed at by those two spooks who speak gobbledygook, yet want our respect. Where is this Jesus? That's what we've come for to seek the dead here in the place of the dead. And believe me, when we last saw our friend, he was truly dead and badly disfigured. All we want to do is leave our aromatic spices to purify the body and leave. 
Now everything has gone wrong, for the stone has gone, the body has gone, and we now wait lost and angry. The phenomena of angels coolly accepted in New Testament times frightens Mary Magdalene. The angels are messengers of hope, but notice that they do not force themselves into the women's lives, they just appear. They just appear. Sometimes they appear to us. We're not aware of it. You might have one sitting very near you. Right now, it's all very well for you to laugh. There may be one behind you. A real angel, a real angel. It's a reality. The angels are messengers of hope. But notice that they do not force themselves. They just happen to be there. That thirsty today is a very matter-of-fact story. There's been a terrible death by crucifixion. The friends of the deceased meet together as quickly as possible to fulfill the Jewish religious teaching over burial of the dead. It's the Sabbath day. They all go home to keep the law. Early the next morning, the women return to the graveyard to leave aromatic herbs for embalming the corpse. And when they finally reach their destination, the tomb which they left protected had been raided. The stone is gone, and worst of all, the body of Christ is missing. Now what do we do? Look at that first Easter day, which is why we're here in the four Gospels. All the friends of Jesus are wimps. They've disappeared for fear of being identified with Jesus. They hide in the upper room behind locked doors, and the three women mentioned in the Gospels, Mary Magdalene, Mary Cleopas, and Mary the mother, have the guts to take their mourning gifts to the tomb. Not only are they brave enough to appear at the tomb, but they actually identify themselves with a dead criminal Jesus. Do you know what that would cost if you were a woman in the Roman period? The end. They're so plucky, these women. Everybody else is scarpered. The disciples are nowhere to be seen. But here in the garden, the women come to remember him who is their friend. Not only do they have to face the horror of the defiled tomb, they're also interrogated by strange beings. Why are you looking among the dead for one who is alive? He is not here. He's gone to Galilee to meet you. Suddenly the women remember that Jesus did say that he would greet them at the end in Galilee, in Galilee. So he's not been stolen away and he would have us tell this good news to his friends. So there's another side to this story. With great conviction, the women rush back to the upper room where the gang are still hidden away from the public view. So they enter the gloom and announce that they've spoken with angels who say that the Lord is risen and invites us to meet him in Galilee. It's a difficult message for the cowards to receive. And according to the gospel, the disciples call the women liars and ridicule them. Things haven't really changed, have they? Interesting, isn't it, that this first announcement of the good news of the Lord risen comes not from the dominant male disciples, but from three women who are the first bearers of the earliest knowledge of Jesus Christ as Lord. There's encouragement for us men. 
However, Peter, recently the leading liar and disbeliever, runs back to the tomb and is amazed at what he sees. So the women now have one other person on their side, but he's only there because they tell him. Then slowly Jesus wipes the sorrow from their eyes. On the road to Emmaus, and then back in Jerusalem, Jesus appears to all of them and greets them with the words of peace. Jesus then speaks of reality. Don't be afraid. I'm not a ghost as you think. Look, it's me. See the marks of the nails, the wounds in my side, and the place of the thorns. It's almost too good to be true. A happy ending. He's risen from the dead. Does a ghost eat food and bleed as I do, says Christ? And suddenly the truth dawns on his friends. It is their friend. Only something new has happened. He looks different. He's not limited by human flesh, yet we can still recognize him and see and hear him. It's a different Jesus, yet still our friend. And various friends make further demands. Good old Thomas, unless I see the marks of the wounds, put my finger in the holes, I will not believe. There's a great creed. Well, that's a challenge for Jesus, and Jesus is up to it. He obliges the doubts of Thomas and makes him put his fingers into the raw wounds. Thomas is overcome and he says, my Lord and my God. Still doubting the disciples by Galilee can't believe it's true. Jesus succumbs to their demands, give me some fish to eat. He eats the fish in their presence. Do ghosts eat food? Jesus then reminds them of his promise that he will be with them all time. So from the three nervous women through the frightened disciples on the road to Emmaus and on into Galilee where they eat a breakfast, the Easter Jesus meets their every demand. Flesh, wounds, bread, fish, everything asked for is provided. We humans are very good at demanding what we want from God. What does God demand from us? He asks us today to decide about Jesus Christ. Who is this man that we say we come to pay honor to today? What happened on Palm Sunday, Good Friday? Do they count in your life? Or are you a fair weather Christian too busy to think of God in the dark times? It's just too much for you, you're too busy. Today, however, the sun is out, the birds are singing, and Jesus is risen. But what if I told you that Jesus actually rose on Good Friday, that on the cross he began the secret journey back to life? That's where it happened. That's where it began. That's where the life was changed. That's where the difference came. And unless that is where you meet Jesus Christ, you will never understand who he is, or for that matter, who you are. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is Jesus as he looks down from the cross towards those who stand back in the shadows and look from afar. This is Jesus to those who appear in the garden on Easter day, 
but who ignore the real passion story of the fight with evil and death. Why are you looking among the dead for one who's alive? The question of the angels to the brave women in the garden on the first Easter day could be the same question asked of us as we gaze at God here in Warbrook in the city of London. Have you come here for a memorial service? A funeral? A piece of Christian mumbo jumbo? A piece of theater? A farewell jamboree? What have you come for? Do you seek a living God, or one who is conveniently dead and buried in the antiquities of time? Have you come for a dose of cultural salts, the good old hymns, some picturesque language, choir singing the heart out, then bury the Christ for another year, except for the possible hiccup of carols at Christmas where you might get another look in? That kind of religion was buried with Christ in the tomb, and the difference is that it cannot rise and it's permanently dead. So if you want the midget Jesus of Christmas, you come to the wrong place, because this is the man who's alive. Today's faith is born of courage. It comes with demands. It's a daily experience, and it's centered on the risen Jesus. What do you really think of Jesus? Is he dead, or is he alive? What actually happened to those first disciples? What changed them from wimps into giants of faith? How well do you know the scriptures which are part of the foundation of this Easter claim? And is your faith strong enough to stand up and be counted? If you still seek the dead here, you've come to the wrong place. You should be at a cemetery, not St. Stephen Warbrook. This is not a story invented by writers to set up a new religion not religious claptrap, so perfect in every way that you have to believe the story. No, it's flawed. It leaves bits out. It's very human, and it's raw and open. It's real and authentic because it's so ragged and lacking in perfect literary structures and devices. It's the true experience of men and women changed by God. What it needs to make it work is someone to tell the story, someone to hear it and someone to accept it and test it and make it come true. These are the recollections of a first century collection of uneducated fishermen and their moles who've been set on fire with the experience of a man, Jesus of Nazareth, and who cannot let go of the power in their lives as a result of spending time with this young idealist. He shared his life with them and now passes the responsibility to tell the story to them and to continue to share the power and the glory. Now the story becomes contemporary. It passes from the page into our lives and depends upon our belief and our lives reflecting the true character of Jesus who rose from the dead and now lives here in London today. Where in this place, for over a thousand years, this faith has been kept alive by you. By you. The evidence for the resurrection is threefold. The evidence of the scriptures themselves, the faith of the disciples as they overcome fear and despair and tell the story themselves, and your faith 
today, however big or small this faith may be, that is your belief and mine, enshrined in the faith of the church, warts and all, and in keeping that faith alive in spite of everything being against it. And finally, you here this evening, who think Jesus is worth turning out for on a Saturday evening, and think the events of his life worthwhile instead of staying in the comfort of your homes and watching Britain's Got Talent. There's an alternative. Now that is proof of the resurrection. Now the responsibility passes to you. Go tell his friends that he's gone on ahead of you to Galilee, where he will greet you with the good news of his resurrection. All is now possible, for our Christ is alive and well and living in today's world. Yes, we suffer a bit, each one of us, some of us quite a lot, but nowhere that Christ has not been himself. And he lifts us up in his hope, the hope that matters more than anything else in this world. The question is, do you have that hope? Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope? I hope you do, otherwise Britain's Got Talent would have been much more interesting. Amen.